going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I have special guest Vivica Minigaz on the line. How are you, Vivica? I'm doing great, Robert. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So I'm, I'm especially interested in this podcast because you specialize in all things women hormones. and this is not going to be applied directly to me per se, but my fiance, <laughs> Crystal, she's been kind of going through all kinds of different things with her hormones. So I'm hoping oh I learned something. Maybe can point this podcast to her. Maybe she learned something. So before we dive into that, though, give, give me some, give me and the audience some background on kind of what brought you into this space and what got you intrigued in, in hormones specifically. Um, yeah, it was, of course, my personal journey and being a woman and having hormones. That's how you get interested in hormones. Yeah. So when you start <laughs> having hormonal problems yourself, uh, you know, I, you have to do something. And I was already studying nutrition at that point where I started having problems with my hormones first, where periods, you know, start having perimenopause and periods getting heavier, and then that turning into fibroids, then hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's adding on to that. And of course, I had adrenal burnout, and I didn't even know it. So all of that kind of came about together as I was like, at my end of my studies of nutrition and starting to work in a clinical practice already. Mm -hmm. So I basically, and plus I got to disclose this piece of information about me to the audience. I am doctor phobic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, a lot of people here in the United States like to go see their doctors for a number of things. I prefer not to. So I had to kind of figure it out myself and through nutrition, you know, that was one of the reasons also for my motivation to study nutrition is to have a grip on my own health issues. So I was my first guinea pig. <laughs> what made you really kind of focus on nutrition and, and, and tie that into your health and wellness? Because it's, I mean, for us in the keto space, it, it seems pretty obvious that how you're eating is going to directly impact how you're feeling and performing. But for a lot of people, and, and me originally, like I, I just thought like I was a I was a tank, you know, I could eat whatever and, and function just fine. Like what made you really kind of gravitate towards nutrition is that how you were raised or is there something specifically that happened? Well, I think I had an underlying interest in food all my life. I was born and raised in Italy and grew up, you know, kind of old school. I'm 50 years old. So like when I grew up, things were a little different, especially in Italy with the food. So I was raised on like, you know, in a restaurant by people who cooked and also with like local foods and really wholesome foods an amazing variety of foods in Italy. We're really lucky with that. So I always loved food and I've always loved cooking. But then as I came to the States, I was like 23 when I came to the States and like really faced with that giant leap in <laughs> or like abysm of like lack of good foods here for mm -hmm. me from an Italian perspective, you know, I could not just, I was appalled by what I found here. And so I had to learn how to navigate my way into this kind of food. And, you know, as I, the years passed and I grew older and, you know, I started having a number of physical health issues that were partly related to the diet, even though I always ate a little better. I never did the sad diet full on, you know, I was always conscious of my foods cooked at home a lot. 
still I was not discriminating. So I was eating dairy, I was eating grains, you know, I was eating some convenience foods, some processed foods, better than the average, but still. And so when my body started like showing signs of, you know, not functioning well and symptoms and aches and pains, gallbladder disease and gallbladder um, attacks was my first big symptom when I was really young at 27. So when that started, it really got me into like trying to understand, you know, a way what was happening. And I started working with a chiropractor that did uh, nutrition, but it didn't. It did nutrition as supplementation, but not diet. So the diet part for me started coming mainly on my own, as you know, I tried this thing and that thing. Like I think a lot of people, like you know, a lot of your listeners and and my audience as well, they try to do the best they can. They look for information on the internet, books. I did the same thing, and then kind of like by destiny or by luck, you know, I found the study of nutrition and I was kind of pushed into it by my first mentor who was also a chiropractor and wanted me to work for her. And so she kind of asked me to study so I could work for her practice. And that's where like everything, like the light bulb got turned on and I really started seeing all the correlation, the physiological correlations and the pathways in the body where like you know, nutrition is so important, nutrients and foods. So like the good nutrients we get through food and like the bad toxins and stressors we get through other foods. So everything started becoming clear. And that's where I also found the ketogenic diet, you know, which was my lifesaver at that point, because I I had become pre-diabetic without even knowing. And when I found out, that's when I researched and found the ketogenic diet. And then I became super passionate with keto and was like, keto was my everything for at least three years. I was really strict. (laughs) So in Italy, I've heard from multiple different people that the food in Italy is just bar none the best. So what was your favorite delicacy there gosh i'm i'm a weird person in that but my i grew up on like fried brains liver fried and <laughs> you know pickled fish and stuff like that so that's why maybe I, it's easier for me to eat a nutrient-dense diet and i kind of tend on the carnivore these days but uh yeah like you know my mom used to make me fried brains and that for me was like the best thing ever so I'm not your average kid. <laughs> what what uh, what kind of animal do these brains come from? Cows? Cows, yeah. And this is like way before mad cow disease and all that stuff came about. And I think that 50 years ago as I was a kid and, you know, I was eating that, it was a lot less toxic and a lot less processing in the mm-hmm. food. And, you know, I remember living in the mountains and the cows would come up for pasture every summer and the cheese was still made in these little huts on a wood fire and we would go up and get the raw milk from from the shepherds from you know the cows on the pasture in the mountains and the other kids used to call me Heidi because of that <laughs> so, so you went from uh, some from fried brains and like self-churned butter to like Twinkies. Yeah, no, not I see, not exactly cuz like for me that kind of stuff has never really been food. And Mm -hmm. to an Italian palate, these American highly processed, like sweets especially, they're not palatable. So, you know, like (laughs) um, 
and my, my dear friend is like, I love donuts. And like, I hate donuts because they don't taste yeah. good to me. And to an American, that is like the ultimate treat is a donut. And as an Italian, it just doesn't taste right. I can taste the, the rancid oils. I can taste, you know, the, it's overly sweetened. And all of that together, it just doesn't make it for the same appeal. Also, didn't I wasn't raised on a high sugar diet. So I don't have that conditioning, you know, it kind of really sugar flattens your palate incredibly. I totally agree with you there. You know, I see it in my clients over and over that when we first start working together, they're not able to really appreciate a variety of foods. But after two or three months, just slowly, slowly, like reducing the flavor sweet and in, like adding other flavors, a lot of spices, a lot of herbs and all things that are really high nutrient and they're good for you, but also vary, you know, what goes on your taste buds. And it really changes the way you relate to food. So it's not just like about keto, like eliminating sugar is just also something that really benefits your relationship with food in general, I think. Yeah, I completely agree. It's it's funny how I'll eat a sweet thing now, even if it's totally, you know, keto friendly using a keto based sweetener. It's like I still just don't crave the sweetness. It's just not something that my body yearns for. Um, with you being in the States now, for, since you've been 27, what's your favorite American based food now? Um, you mean like the uh, food that you can find in America or that is has to be like American cuisine, because <laughs> there yeah, is like a different. <laughs> there are so many cuisines here that we don't find in Italy. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I'm assuming the the American pizza is not near as good as your Italian pizza. Mm -mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> and my favorite food here is probably Japanese and Korean, which are not really American. <laughs> yeah, us Americans are just we're just not pulling much weight as far as food's concerned, huh? Not so much. I can't even <laughs> think like right on top of my head. Like if I think American food, like a burger. Burger and fries, I guess, is what we're known for. Yeah, or fried chicken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. Um, I love burgers. Just like, you know, sometimes I do treat myself to a burger with a gluten-free bun. Mm -hmm. um, usually I just have burger without bun or lettuce wrap. But if I want to really indulge, then I get a gluten-free bun. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and sometimes like sweet potato fries. That's like if you really want to push it. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's a our claim to fame is the burger. I guess I I can't think of anything else either. So I'm curious when you you know came over to the states, were eating this just totally different palate than what you were familiar with. Were you gaining a bunch of body fat, or did you just notice? Your, your body start to not function as efficiently as it was before? Because I was so young and I've always been really lucky with a high metabolism. Also, I didn't really diet as a teenager and, you know, I didn't do a lot of yo-yo dieting. I was pretty good with my food. So I didn't see a difference right away. Also, like I said, I was trying to eat at home and I was pretty active all the time, swimming and walking a lot and exercising. So I didn't see a difference right away, but it kind of slowly but surely crept up on me. And so I didn't see a big difference in weight gain until I was in perimenopause. And then I think because of the whole hormonal cascades that are connected to perimenopause plus insulin, um, that's when I became pre-diabetic and becoming pre-diabetic is what completely changed my body composition. And that's why I couldn't understand why I 
I wasn't losing weight. On the contrary, I was gaining weight and it was a very specific kind of weight. It was like all on my thighs and my rear end. Um, almost just a little on the belly was mostly thighs. Like, and it was really interesting for me. I couldn't understand. And it was like a lot of, you know, that kind of water retention weight um, didn't look good. <laughs> and yeah. it wasn't all, all over my body. So, you know, there are different reasons. Uh, for gaining weight. And this was definitely an insulin estrogen weight that I was gaining as I was entering perimenopause. I also had fibroids. Uh, so that was an, as due to estrogen accumulation. And, you know, estrogen and insulin are very connected. And as you are insulin resistant, you tend to become estrogen dominant and vice versa. It's like one of those catch-22 cycles in the body. And that's exactly what was happening to me. And, you know, it showed. And you were going through school learning about this basically as it was happening. So you can kind of put your finger on it pretty quickly as it was happening, right? Um, I wasn't quite specializing in hormones yet. At that point, I was just getting my general um, nutrition diploma. So it took a minute for me to be able to figure it out. But once I started having, uh, I found out that I was hypothyroid. That was like about a year and a half later. I was already doing keto. And when I found keto, keto really addressed the insulin issue. It took me about a year, but like I reset my insulin resistance almost com completely. <clears throat> and then after that, you know, of course I was able to lose weight and my hormones got better, but with the hypothyroidism, I had to just dive into the hormones more specifically. And that's when I started mentoring with a hormone specialist, uh, Dr. Rhonda Nelson, She's now just teaching to practitioners and she's amazing, incredible mentor. Like she taught me about restorative endocrinology or what we call functional endocrinology these days. So that was like the pieces of the puzzle were coming together. And, you know, I could see the intercorrelation with your sex hormones, insulin and your thyroid hormones and your adrenals, which is the base of all hormonal dysfunction, they all function together. So like, you know, I had to kind of understand how that works in my body first, which is really great because, you know, there is nothing like putting on that suit and trying it for size that makes you understand how something works, you know. Uh, so then I was able to do that, learn like the theory and do the, put it in practice on myself. And then as I was already working in a clinical practice, see it in practice on other patients. So when you, when you transitioned to keto and you're doing that strictly for, I think three years, you said you noticed an improvement from all the hormonal levels, but that did not, you know, quote unquote, fix it, um, full stop per se. Like you had to kind of dive deeper and manipulate mm -hmm. a few more things, right? Yeah, so I think that like for all your listeners as well, there are a lot of people come to me and ask me about the ketogenic diet. Will keto fix my hormones with diet alone? Um, there is a point where the imbalance has gone so deep that I believe it's not possible to fix hormonal imbalances with just diet. There are other elements that need to come in. They're very important. They're going to you know, complete the picture so that we can get the results that we want. And definitely um, detoxing is a big one because hormones and the liver are closely related. And if your liver is congested, you're never going to be able to get the hormones to rebalance. So liver detoxing, it's a big piece. And the other piece is supplementation, <clears throat> excuse me, and like, 
using nutrition, both have the nutrients that you need to feed your glands and organs so they can function properly. And we can also use herbs um, to rebalance and mimic the hormones in a natural way so that we don't have to use like chemically made hormones or horse hormones, <laughs> you know, but it, it's a gentler, more aligned with the body way for us to nudge our body into doing what we want. Like, for example, chase tree is used for progesterone, like stimulating the progesterone creation in the body. And it's also a, a, a phytohormone, like it's a hormone mimicker that is, a, you know, a plant extract, but it kind of works on those pathways as well as like stimulating as well as almost replacing it instead of using, um, you know, a synthetic progesterone, which is really not good. And same for estrogen, because synthetic estrogen is really bad and has also been linked to cancer. So we want to try to avoid that. I'm always for trying to use as natural as an approach as possible, more aligned with a holistic view of the body. Okay, so I want to dive deep on several topics here. First, you mentioned, um, actually, before we get that to that, if if someone is noticing some issues hormonally, they're trying to fix things, do you recommend they they just start with, you know, not even focusing on the supplementation or anything yet, just focus on diet alone and kind of establish a baseline and then see how the body responds to that and then go forward? Yeah, I think that a good first step to start rebalancing your hormones is the diet and really cleaning up your diet. Uh, so that's a, always a great first step. And this is an actionable step, right? We all can start with that without too much, um, thinking too much about it, but cleaning up your diet, starting with a good clean version of keto that is not a lot of processed foods and, you know, preservatives and colorings and all of that. That's a great first step. After that, I would think about finding, um, practices like holistic practices or practitioners that can guide you into the deeper levels of like how to go forward with it. And you, you had mentioned uh, liver detox. So what's the best way to go about that? So liver detox, um, I use herbs for detoxing, but I also for me, you can, it's, you can, but I don't recommend <laughs> going straight from zero to liver detox because we have in the body, what's called detoxification pathways, which are liver and kidney and the skin as well and the lungs to some extent. So we want to make sure that the pathways are supported and functional before we get into an actual detox. The difference is that we want to support the nutrition for those pathways to make sure that your organs are actually functional they're working, they're able to handle the stress of a detox before you use certain herbs or certain other substances. Some people use nutraceuticals for that. I use herbs. But, you know, in order to like, let's say, push the toxins out of your cells through the liver and out of your body, before you do that, we want to make sure that the liver is able to handle it, the kidneys are able to handle it. Imagine like, you know, there is a storm coming and all your gutters are full of leaves the gutters are not going to be able to like channel the water where it needs to go. So the first thing we need to do is clean the gutter, get all the old leaves out, you mm -hmm. know, and, and let the water flow so that once the rain comes, the rain will go where we want it to go off the roof and into the ground instead of like 
splashing everywhere. Yeah, that's a good analogy. Mm -hmm. Because the toxins will bounce back if your liver is congested. So you try to do a liver pusher, then the liver is not able to handle the amount of toxins that are liberated from the cells. And what's going to happen is cannot complete phase two of detoxification. So all those toxins are going to be half conjugated and half, you know, um, ready for like detoxification of the phase two and um, elimination. And instead, they're going to bounce back and they're even more toxic. So it's really not an ideal scenario here. So what's what's the, like, if I need and want to detox the liver, what's the best way to prime that? Like using me as an example, what would you recommend I do to prime the liver? Um, I use specific formula, but let's say you wanted to use a formula that you can just buy on Amazon or something. I would start with liver pills. And then we there are specific formulas that are like homeopathic or food concentrates that are called drainage products. In this case, you know, using liver, concentrated liver pills or freeze-dried liver pills and eating liver, it's always a great way to support your liver because it supports that pathway with the nutrients, you know. Um, And you could use also herbs like there is milk thistle, dandelion. So eating bitter greens without maybe adding without adding a concentrated form, but just doing it as your food, as part of your diet, just using a lot of bitter herbs like dandelion grains and um, let's see, endive is good and um, artichoke is good for the liver, Uh, milk thistle tea is good. So all of this, start to incorporate it at least in your food so that your liver gets a little extra support. And then do that for a couple of weeks or about a month or so, then kind of transition into a detox. Yeah. And again, like I think that depending, you know, on the person, if you, you, Robert, you're really kind of good, clean, healthy, (laughs) you know, person. So I think that it wouldn't be a problem for you at all to get to do a detox by yourself. But anybody who knows they have a history of like eating a really bad diet or being exposed to chemicals like house cleaning chemicals or, you know, nail polish or makeup that's conventional using a lot of over-the-counter products or that have taken medication before. And also you can just look at your body and tell if your body is like, you're not able to lose weight or lose fat, even you're doing keto already. And there is that stubborn, I stopped losing weight. What the hell is going on? You know? Mm -hmm. And like, there is that stubborn little layer of fat all over your body or big layer. It could be big. That is a big clue that you need to detox and detoxing could not be so easy. So in that case, I would recommend working with the practitioner. That would be, you know, the best way to do it because a a lot of stuff can happen when you detox. And if you don't do it right, it can be almost incapacitating. As I said, you can become more toxic. Even I see that with metal, heavy metal toxicity, a lot of people that try to detox from heavy metals and then they go to a doctor, it gives them chelation therapy. And that makes them even sicker because they never, you know, established the pathways first and then they're forcing the body. So there is you know, detox gone wrong. (laughs) We don't want to end up that way. So I would recommend if you think you're really toxic, look for support. There, There is a lot of really great support out there. And I love detoxing. It's like 
the staple of my practice because it really makes all the difference. And you're doing that. So like, can I use me as an example again? If I do that, um, mm-hmm. you know, prime the liver, so to speak, have the, the liver pills or eat liver, take in those herbs. What's, what's the actual detoxification process for me look like? Am I just adding in different herbs? Um, so at some point, like about a month after you have supported your liver, ate the liver, increased the bitter herbs and all that. So what I would do is find a specific product. So there are specific herbs, a combination of them that will kind of gently support and push those two phases of liver detox. And that will help. It also depends, you know, what are you detoxing? Because there are a slightly different way to detox different things. But in general, we want to always start with the liver and just like supporting that liver detox. So um, there are herbs for that. And because I'm sorry, Robert, but I don't usually recommend generic products for everybody because I work very specifically and individually with clients. So it's mm-hmm. hard for me to be able to say, take product X. It's going to be great for all of you. Like, you know, there are some people out there doing keto. I'm not going to say any names, but certain doctors and they're like, take these supplements and they sell the supplement. It's like, this supplement is going to be great for your liver. This is great for your gallbladder. This is great for detox. And they sell millions of them. Um, it's a very kind of generic way of working and it can work at a superficial level, but I prefer, you know, to work on a more individual level for myself. So what I don't do is I don't tell you take supplement X or Y or Z, but you know, I can give you some generic recommendations, but I can't tell you like you, Robert, you're going to do good with this supplement unless I know what's going on in your body. And then I can tell you, honestly, with a clean conscience, you know, what supplement to take. <laughs> That's admirable for sure. A lot of people are just trying to make a quick buck. So have the integrity to not do that. It's uh, very, very wise of you for sure. Um, all right. So you t- mentioned the, the, the liver, liver detox. So I do that just kind of working through the, the flow here. Mm-hmm. What do you think about, um, like a lot of people will try and transition just to a hardcore strict carnivore, cut out everything other than like just the bare basics, beef, and kind of use that as a way to to prime the the liver, the organs, and just act as an elimination elimination diet, so to speak. Is that advantageous, or is that depriving you of some of the nutrients you're getting from these herbs um, that you wouldn't be getting with a, a hardcore strict carnivore approach? So I think that carnivore definitely works as an elimination diet, but I also think that it's not appropriate for everybody. Again, you know, we need to look more individually, and here we can group. Um, the people that let's say carnivore being strict carnivore, at least for a while would be a good elimination diet. Yes. Those are the people who have a very damaged microbiome microbiome. So their guts are really not benefiting from any plant matter. Um, and then there are the people that actually have somewhat functional guts that can use plant matter and plant uh, foods as nutrients. And those will probably not benefit from just being carnivore because their microbiome does need fiber. So there are here, that's the first big discrimination. Like, is your gut able to handle fiber and plants? Yes or no. The second one is within the people that, yes, they could benefit from carnivore. There is a further um, distinction here because some of those people 
actually, and I've, I've done this research in my practice with a number of clients and following them through, I think the longest one has been a year on carnivore. Uh, women with hormonal issues and carnivore for longer term, how does that work? Is that enough? You know, and here we're talking more from the de detox perspective, but I think that there is another version of carnivore that you don't see a lot out there and that I do in my practice, and that's carnivore plus herbs and supplements. So it's for me, sometimes it's a transition. So we transition people through this phase using supplements and herbs with carnivore to achieve certain goals. Then sometimes they can go into just strict carnivore, no supplements, and that's the best way. Sometimes they go through that phase and then we need to come back to supplementation because carnivore is not enough. So as you can see here, there are multiple scenarios that, you know, we can just group everybody into under one umbrella, like really depending on your gut and your microbiome, depending on your liver, your level of toxicity and what are, you know, the goals that we're trying to achieve, then of course we are going to module modulate, is that English? Modify yeah. the diet, <laughs> you know, in, in order to best achieve those goals. So I am not a diet racist, <laughs> let's call it like, I'm not like a keto fanatic. It's like keto or bust or, you know, it's carnivore or die. It's yeah. not like that. You know, I'm not, it's not a dogma because we need to really see what are we trying to accomplish with the way of eating that we are using and what is the best way of eating to accomplish those goals? And, and so like that, we go along and we also can modify and experiment individually to see what is the best way of eating for the person. I'm sure that you, Robert, and me, Vivica, we have two completely different, you know, ideal diets, even though they could be not completely different. They could be similar, but they could be slightly different ways of doing keto, for example, because you're young and you're a male and you're a bodybuilder. And I am, you know, a menopausal woman and my level of activity is maybe moderate, not high. Yeah, it's, I definitely agree with you. Having a more individual-based approach is, is key. People get on their high horse and they assume that what works for them works for everybody. And I've, I've never believed that, I've never promoted that. I think you have to take a very holistic approach to it and look at what your body specifically is, is needing. Um, what, what's a good litmus test initially, like if you're trying to decide if you should go carnivore and omits this, you know, fiber and vegetation, or if you're one that needs to have that initially, is there just a, a good litmus test to, to, to see which branch you're going to go down first? I think that it just, this is something that you can find out just in practice, like by yourself, seeing how your gut is reacting to the food. You know, a good example is like a couple of clients in my practice that came to me with like, you know, came from the interesting background of being vegan, then vegetarian, then paleo, then keto paleo with me, and still having this horrible history of constipation and gut issues and gut just not working, not kicking in, tried everything. Once gone carnivore, the gut normalizes. So, you know, I think that symptoms that can tell you you're intolerant to plant foods can be the constant bloating, gas, constipation, 
you know, sometimes even IBS, but I see interestingly enough that people that are fiber reactive, they more tend to constipation than to diarrhea. And it's so counterintuitive because everybody has been telling us until now that you need fiber to have a bowel movement. And mm -hmm. here are people that actually have the opposite effect. I think that when you are symptomatic, then it's, you know, those kind of symptoms will be a good guide that you could start removing fibers and see how that works for you. Totally, totally agree. And and with regard to your carnivore plus herb approach, I know, I know you don't want to recommend specific herbs to anybody, um, you know, to like a generic population, but I don't eat an, enough herbs. I don't eat near as many herbs as I should. And they're incredibly nutrient dense. Um, a lot of times when people think of, you know, vegetables and what they need to have, they just grow, go for like a head of broccoli or, you know, some cauliflower or something pretty simple and generic widely used. But what are some herbs? What are the best way to have herbs? Are you taking these like in a pill form? Or are you going out and getting fresh herbs? And, and what are some things that across the board you think most people would probably benefit from? Well, so if you, depends, if you're doing keto paleo, then I would say use as many fresh herbs as possible, like, you know, thyme and rosemary and parsley and cilantro fresh in your food, because you will get the most benefits, nutritional benefits for those. And, you know, my book, I don't know if you know, I had a book, but it's called the Keto Paleo Kitchen. And I used um, as many fresh ingredients, fresh herbs as possible as part of making food your medicine. So, but that's a keto paleo approach. In carnivore instead, I wouldn't say use them as condiments. I would say use them in supplement form. And then it really depends what, again, we are working with because sometimes we need, you know, is the microbiome. And that's the problems that led you to having to be carnivore, like dysbiosis, so imbalanced gut flora, or it can be fungal, it can be a yeast, it can be candida in your gut, it can be a parasite, you know, those are all things that can contribute to the dysbiosis and lead to the necessity of being carnivore, but we still have to resolve them. And, you know, if you have a parasite, for example, or if you have a fungus, intestinal fungus, not always carnivore alone will resolve it. And that's why I use with, I start with supplementation. So carnivore plus supplements to clean up the intestines in that case. And then we'll go to just carnivore once that we have sufficient results. And then the diet alone at that point will finish the job, you know, um, when it comes to hormones instead, like for certain people who have that issue plus hormone dysregulation on top of that, so they have all the, you know, maybe candida or yeast or fungus in their gut, dysbiosis, and they're having like fibroids or they're having terrible periods or, you know, um, horrible cramps and adrenal fatigue, all of that on top. Then we also need to support the hormonal pathways. And that what I've seen in my clinical practice recently, Robert, is that we I've gone through the whole sequence with a couple of clients and then we, you know, they were strict carnivore for about six months. And in, in certain cases, that alone was able to resolve the hormonal issues once we have done the preliminary supplementation. And for other cases, we had to return to supplementation because it was actually not enough. Gotcha. So 
It depends on the person. <laughs> yeah, 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 there's a lot, a lot of different variables at play for sure. So I know, I know, like you mentioned, you can't recommend a specific supplement to the general audience. But what are some? What is a pool of supplements that are in this conversation, so to speak? So, like mm-hmm. when people are looking to dive deeper and do some research and see what they may benefit from, what are some? What are some commonly used supplements and, and commonly used herbs that that you? Uh, you know, have your your clients and you yourself use. So, um, starting to like for the gut protocols, I use a lot of herbs like noni um, in a certain like powder form that is like highly pure powder form concentrated. So it's noni, not just the juice. Like it's used a lot fermented noni juice, but this is a whole noni fruit powdered and like um, um, cold processed. And then there are Chinese herbs sometimes, like I use golden thread a lot. I use, um, let me think, like thera. It's another herb. Um, and those are kind of some examples. I use chlorella sometimes and I use uh, charcoal. Those are all different things that can be part of a gut cleansing protocol and um, microbiome rebalancing. Then, of course, I would also use like gelatin or uh, collagen in and supplement extra or have them like have a lot of broth and, you know, like um, cartilage rich broth, make it themselves. That's always great for the gut and gut healing. I use fat based chlorophyll, which is a very specific product that helps um, rebuild that intestinal wall. I don't use a lot of isolates. See, I'm a different kind of practitioner because a lot of people use isolates or nutraceuticals, things like glutathione or ALA that, you know, there's a lot of talk about the supplements. I just use them in extreme cases because I am more towards trying to resolve the issues with food. And if you think about it, plants are food and food are food. So that takes me also to glandular extract um, and you know, I use a certain company standard process that has protomorphogens, which are extracts of the nucleus where the DNA is and helps us rebuild the gland from the DNA level. So I use a lot of that. And like glandulars will be used to support a more the endocrine system. So uh, for the thyroid, for the ovaries, for the pituitary and hypothalamus, those are glandular extracts that will go and help a person rebuild that specific organ. So the combination for me of the herbs plus the glandulars works really well, and they really complement each other. And they're food. <laughs> they're not made in the lab, you know. See, this, this, is, this is crazy because you just, you just illustrated to me how ignorant I am <laughs> towards this because I didn't even know there was these glandular uh, supplements. I didn't know there was these, I mean, half the herbs you said I'd never even heard of before. So... Where, where where can like somebody like myself go to just you know read and and just learn about these specific herbs that have like a specific effect on um you know this this gut microbiome like I'm just curious like I want to dive into this because this is a an, a huge gaping hole in my knowledge base right here. Well, I have to be entirely honest. I had this was through my study of nutrition. And I had to, I did a ton of seminars, a ton of courses, work with different doctors. And, you know, those are mostly courses for professionals. And thank goodness, because I know that a lot of people and a lot of our, both of our audiences are interested in nutrition and want to do that. But this is a little bit of a full time job, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? 
<laughs> and luckily there are practitioners that do this kind of studying. Like I wouldn't want to, you know, I have a CPA, so I don't have to study accounting. Right. But <laughs> if you're interested, um, let me think for a second. Like I study, I started my study of nutrition with the founding fathers of nutrition. So I would strongly point you towards that, uh, Dr. Weston Price. Uh, amazing body of knowledge, just really the basics about human physiology and nutrition and nutrient-dense foods. So that is great reading. The Western Prize Foundation is a little bit different nowadays than what the actual teachings of Dr. Price were. So you can, um, there is Nourishing Traditions and, you know, the Western Prize Foundation website. There is a lot of good knowledge there, but probably start from the, from um, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration, which is his book and is a tome, but so much good stuff in there. And then there is Dr. Royal Lee, which is a, actually all these doctors were friends and ha they had kind of this little secret group. It was really cool. They all collaborated and they were all like against the FDA back in the 40s and 50s. Oh, nice. When the FDA was coming up strong and it was trying to push the sugar agenda, this is a whole other story, but, you know, more political and, you know, a little conspiracy is kind of fun. But yeah, uh, the FDA was trying to push like sugar and then these doctors, they were like studying, uh, experimenting with nutrition and the body were just like pushing against the FDA. And guess what happened? A lot of their work just got kind of destroyed burnt mm -hmm. all their books got burnt and their labs got burned they confiscated their materials it's pretty crazy it's like the witch hunt all over again wow that is insane i'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to dive into that yeah it's like really intriguing and i'm sorry i'm kind of um rabbit holing a bit here but it's really interesting because there is so much to learn in the work of those doctors so Western Price, Dr. Royal Lee, the founder of Standard Process, which I use as one of the main uh, supplement companies that I use in my practice. And he has books and books and books. Um, his books were also destroyed and were able to be preserved by one organization, um, which is IFNH in San Diego. And that's where I studied. I began my studies of nutrition. So they have, um, their website is ifnh.org and they have a lot of good materials and references and links to the doctors. And after doctors, Dr. Page, forget his first name. Um, he also wrote several books and there is, yeah, there is a fat body of knowledge right there. <laughs> you know, it can keep you occupied for a minute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm going to start digging for sure. And I assume, you know, your, your book is you said it was a is a recipe book cookbook right but i'm assuming it takes into a lot of account the stuff that you've learned you know through these nutritional yes. therapies so it's not just simply you know good for your palate and your taste buds but also for healing your hormones your gut and everything and beyond yes absolutely and you know i have i try to keep my book really simple i didn't make like a 300 page introduction about keto but in my introduction i explain my philosophy of like health and eating and like holistic lifestyle. And the recipes are really the way you can practice that and see what it feels like on your own body to eat this way, which is not very complicated. I, you know, the book has a lot of nicer recipes, but you can kind of boil it down, cook it down, <laughs> pun yeah. intended, 
to <laughs> to a simpler way of eating um and still like really be nutrient high nutrient and satisfying and like like amazing flavor really like enriching at every level it doesn't have to be so hard but it's a it's a paradigm shift you know I mm-hmm. think if people want to see the way I eat nowadays, they can go on my Instagram where I post a lot of my f- actually daily foods, which are getting a little boring sometimes because I've been doing mostly carnivore. So it's like more meat. <laughs> but if you go back into the, my three, four years of Instagram, then you see my whole keto journey evolution from where I started all the way to here. And it's kind of interesting. Sometimes I do that. I scroll back and look at all the different foods that I was eating and like, wow, <laughs> I came a yeah, long yeah. way. No, I mean, that's, that's, that's the beauty of it. You can kind of see and just document the journey. I want to dive a little bit. We kind of make this full circle here. Talk more about the hormonal pathways and, you know, hypothyroidism, Hashimoto's like you were mentioning earlier. Can you dive into that realm and, and talk about how it's both related and separate from like the, the gut issues and the, the you know, nutrition standpoint, but just dive into that deeper in case any the listeners are, are battling with that and want to know next steps? Well, um, first of all, like it's really important for all of your listeners to understand that the endocrine system, as my mentor called it, a family, like a family, they function or dysfunction together. But all the different organs, all the different glands, they are closely connected and interact. And with the thyroid being in the middle as the master gland, the regulator, master regulator, but the thyroid is also impacted, you know, by all the other glands around. So first of all, like something that modern endocrinology does not quite get as in their view of like pathology versus wellness and health of the system, that everything functions together. Especially we always talk about the and big endocrine triangle thyroid with adrenals and ovaries and how adrenals and ovaries found the base of the triangle upon which the health of the thyroid rests. Mm-hmm. But the thyroid is also very closely connected to gut health because the nutrients, you know, that need to be synthesized for thyroid health come from gut synthesis and digestion. So if you're not able to get proper proteins and you don't get your tyrosine, the thyroid hormones have nothing to rest upon. So there is a building block that's actually missing right there. Uh, so, And then there is toxicity, which is liver and how important we already just touched upon, how important it is for our uh, hormonal health to have a clean liver. The liver not only processes toxins, but it processes excess hormones. So, and all the exogenous hormones, which means hormones or hormone mimickers that come from the environment, which is now full of that stuff, like exogenous um, ag- what are they called? Oh, come on. Estrogens. <laughs> Just the word is missing. But all the estrogens that come from the environment, like face creams or laundry detergent and, and dryer sheets and stuff like that, and that comes into our body in excess. And if we're not able to process them out, bind them and get them out of our system, they start recirculating. So 
liver extremely important, the gut is extremely important. And then of course, the health of every individual gland is really important. And two little big players of this game as well, they don't get talked about a lot is hypothalamus and pituitary. Because the pituitary is the control center, gets the messages from the hypothalamus. So when there is long-term dysregulation in an endocrine system, your pituitary basically gets confused. It's like, you're giving me mixed messages all day long. I don't know what's going on here anymore, and I don't care, and I don't want to do this job. (laughs) So, you know, you can imagine how frustrating that would be. And your pituitary just starts not responding, not signaling right. So when we need to have that feedback loop that tells your body how many hormones to produce or you know, how much thyroid hormone or how much like uh, FSH, S, <laughs> can't speak anymore, FSH, like LH, FSH, luteinizing hormone or follicle stimulating hormone, those are all coming from the pituitary for the ovaries, so for your periods, the regulation of your periods, the regulation of your thyroid, your energy pathways, it's really important that the whole pathway is healthy. And when we look at rebalancing, you know, that's why, that's a really good point. I just remember, that's why it's really important um, sometimes to work with a a professional because when the pituitary is out of whack, so you've gone too far and just diet alone, is that's one of the cases that diet alone will not fix it anymore. There needs to be specific support for that axis, the HPA or HPO axis. Um, so that's one of the cases where we need to like know what we're doing because if we have brain dysregulation, then we can focus on the organ all day long, like the ovaries or the thyroid. But if it's the pituitary that's dysregulated, then it's not going to work, you know? And then you're like, why is it not working? Well, because <laughs> you're looking in the wrong place. And the, the best way to go about kind of fine tuning this process is to just get all the blood work done and have the hormonal levels checked so you kind of know what your baseline is? Yeah, that's a good place to start. Um, Definitely, especially when it comes to thyroid and sex hormones, there are so many variables that it's really important for us to understand where is the problem to look at some, uh, some labs. And I recommend doing saliva testing for female hormones because doctors will run your serum test, which is like one, um, one draw at one part during a cycle through the blood. And that really doesn't show you much. Uh, When it comes to female hormones, when they're in the blood, they're bound to proteins. So they're not in their active form. So there is basically very little correlation with what's really happening at the receptor level versus what is like floating around in your blood and potentially there, but maybe not really being used or maybe... Mm -hmm. Too much is being used, you know, so we need to look through the saliva for that so that we understand what's going on at the receptor level. So is your body using the hormones? How many are free and actually ready to be used? Is that enough? Is there too much? Um, When it comes to thyroid, then yes, through the blood is the best way to look at it. But there are at least seven, a minimum of seven markers that need to be observed in the thyroid if we want to have an idea where is the problem. If we just look at TSH, like most doctors do, 
it will not tell you much. It will, it's like a switch. Yes, no, but you know, there is much more to understand. It's like, where is the problem? Is it at the thyroid level? Is it at the brain level? Is it at the receptor level? You know, is it nutrition? Are you deficient in nutrients? See, there are a lot of variables here too. So we want to get the most information that we can. And also we want to be able to interpret those labs in the right way. Because let me tell you one thing, doctors do not have great parameters to read your labs. Mm -hmm. Their parameters are not based on a healthy functional um, range. So that's why functional medicine doctors do a lot better because they have what we call functional ranges, which are reflective of a healthy range, not a dysfunctional range. So functional ranges are a lot smaller and more precise, and they can tell us a lot better where is the dysfunction and in you know what part of the dysfunction you are. That's a that's a really good point. I was listening to I forget what podcast, but they were talking about the the healthy ranges that everybody gets on all their lab pronouns now and they've adjusted those ranges over the past you know 20 40 years as the average and the mean has changed amongst the population size um their their test size basically so as people have gotten more and more unhealthy that mean has changed to follow suit so if you're trying to be healthy you're looking at just bad information from the get go um so yeah, having that functional range is definitely worthwhile looking at. Yeah, absolutely. Because what the lab does, pretty much how they create that ranges is like they do averages of the population. Mm-hmm. And just like you say, the sicker they get, the more off target that range is going to be. Absolutely. And and so this is basically what you specialize in, right? You work with your clients to to get this data, get these tests done, and then you help them interpret those results and then kind of come up with a plan going forward? Yeah, that's one of the things. I specialize in ketogenic diets in case (laughs) we didn't get that until now, yes. And in hormonal balance. So all the hormones, um, the sex, the thyroid and the adrenals, yes. And insulin as well. So metabolism as well, because like we say, they all go together. (laughs) Yeah, I, I like that approach. I think that's the only approach to take. If you're looking at things through a, a lens that negates half of the equation, you're never going to really come to the solution. But if you're truly looking through it from the holistic approach that you need to be, you're much more likely to reach the goal and have a more sustainable answer to that problem because you'll have the full picture in front of you. Exactly. Yes. Well, Vivica, where, where can uh, people go to find out more about you and, and dive into this deeper? Because I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly intrigued right now. I'm going to start looking up that research that you pointed out, looking up those doctors diving deeper because this is like the next level. I mean, it's, it's great to have a good solid nutritional foundation, you know, from a, like a macronutrient standpoint, you go into a micronutrient from there, but really diving into like the herbs, the hormones, how it all comes into play with the gut microbiome. I mean, that's, that's like the, the next level, which is not, I don't think enough people are looking there. They're not diving this deep, but this is often where you need to go to fix the problems. Yeah. It's mostly where you need to go to really fix the problems. And you know what, Robert, unfortunately, a lot of people come to me when they're tried everything else and now they're desperate and nothing else works. I wish that if one thing and one message I can give to your audience is like, don't wait until that point, please. Like, 
try to do something for yourself before you get to the desperate point. Because yes, we we can still fix things to the best of you know the ability of the individual and nutrition, but still. It's, you know, at the point where everything is falling apart, it's so much harder. So if you want to do yourself a favor, work on your health before it gets to the point of like almost no return. And um, so my uh, blog is The Nourished Caveman, and I created a little special landing page for the podcast that is called thenourishedcaveman.com forward slash podcast. <laughs> That's where my tongue fails me. So the nourishcayman.com forward slash podcast. I can do this. <laughs> and um, yeah, right there, there, it talks a little bit more about what I do. I have a gift for the listeners. It's a little uh, download about what tests you should ask from your doctor or any practitioner you work with, including me. If you're interested in working with me, I also offer a discounted consult for the listeners. So either if you want to run labs or if you want me to look at the labs you already have that your doctor was not able to say anything intelligent about, (laughs) I can give you a functional interpretation. Um, Sorry, but doctors, don't forget, the doctors, they mean well, they're great people, but they look at pathology only. Mm-hmm. So if we want to look at health instead of just the disease and how to remove it from the body, we need to look at a functional interpretation of any labs from blood work to gut panels, to thyroid panels, to hormone panels. Like, And I can run all of them as well for people. So if somebody doesn't have a doctor or doesn't trust a doctor and they want to come to me, I'd be happy. Um, you know, to navigate them through the different lab work and what is appropriate at what time. Yeah, I'll definitely, I'll definitely link out to that. Because, um, like, like I said, I think people could really benefit from this information and diving deeper and having somebody like yourself that knows what to even look for. Because, as you pointed out, I, <laughs> I clearly don't know half these herbs, um, half these supplements. So I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dive deeper so I can gain more knowledge myself. But if someone's dealing with a specific issue, um, you know having somebody like yourself to, to go to and kind of flesh it out for them and help them have a better understanding is, is absolutely key, I think. Cool. Thank you, Robert. Well, Vivica, thanks again. I really appreciate the time um, and the enlightenment. I feel much more emboldened on this journey for sure. So thank you very much. And I will, like I said, link out to everything so people can find you. And until next time, you have a great one. <laughs>